We were going to try to wrap up the central idea in the Jacob story. And what I've come to realize in preparing today is this probably should have been done over three weeks period of time, but I'm going to do it in one day, which means there's going to be some speed to this. And I don't know any other way to do it because um, in order for you to wrestle with the central part of this story, there are so many pieces that are linked to it that when you finally get the big picture, it's going to have some real meaning for your life. Uh, so for us to do that, um, at some points you're going to go, man, he probably should have covered that longer. You're right, but you have the information. You could go and digest it, and I would recommend that you do that. Here's where we're at. Jacob has been treated horribly by his father. He has this massive insecurity with his brother, compares himself against him, and has set out to prove everybody wrong about him. I'm a doer too. I'm gonna steal from my brother. I'm gonna steal from my uncle. I'm gonna deceive whoever I have to to make myself look great. And this has taken him to a place where his uncle's sons are so ticked off at him. He's looking around going, I don't know if I can stay here. I can't go home either because my brother at home wants to kill me. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. And for the first time in his life, he decides to lean into this relationship with God. And God says, I want you to go home and reconcile. Make things right with your brother. Now, if you know the story, some of you may be thinking, yeah, that's a smart choice because you know that when he gets to his brother, his brother jumps down off of his donkey or camel or whatever he's riding and hugs him. And so that seemed like the best move. You don't understand what's happening. Here's what's happening. This is verse one of chapter 33. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. You do not need 400 men for a welcome party. What do you need 400 men for? War. His brother has not forgotten his betrayal. His brother is thinking, I know the kind of man you were. I'm coming to meet you in the way that I should. And he's, got, he's ready. He's ready for a battle. And so you have this sense of fear that Jacob has been carrying. Even though he's going to follow God, his heart is full. I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I don't know if this is wise. But I'm, I'll follow you and I'll do this. And it looks like in chapter 32, and it plays out in 33, that all that happens is that Jacob simply offers his brother a bribe. And if you were to believe that, you would miss one of the important things that's actually going on in the text. But you won't see what's going on in the text unless you play a little game, a game that you should play often if you're reading in the book of Genesis. You should ask yourself, have I heard or seen anything like this before? Have I heard or seen anything like this before? So let's, in chapter 33, this thing plays out where uh, Jacob has sent a whole bunch of animals ahead and then he eventually gets to Esau and he starts doing some things. And you're gonna see there are some key things and I'm gonna go through them. I'm gonna make a list real quick and you can go and you'll, you'll read them. They're there. So in 33, there's two brothers in conflict. 
One of the brothers is wealthier than the other brother. I mean, if you can send waves and waves of animals to your brother and still feel like you can take care of your household, you're doing okay. So he's wealthy. In the story, one brother takes a position of power or mastery over the other. How do we know that? Because one of the brothers bows to the other one, not just once, seven times, bows seven times. And it's not just the brother that bows. He has his whole family come and bow before the other brother. They're all bowing before Esau. Now, if you were to stop and ask yourself, does this sound like anything, seem like anything? Do I recognize this from anywhere else in the scriptures? You would remember something, if you were looking for it, from Genesis chapter 27. In Genesis chapter 27, there are two brothers in conflict. They are fighting over who will receive the blessing from dad. This is, I'm going to put the blessing on the screen. This is in chapter 27. This is verses 28 and 29. And here's where it starts to get interesting. So in that blessing, the one son is told, you're going to have earth's richness. You're going to get wealthy, man. You're going to be more wealthy than your brothers. Um, your brother's going to be lord over you in verse 29. Somebody's going to have mastery. Your brothers will bow to you. And it even says nations would serve you. Peoples would bow to you. Isn't Jacob's family, like those sons that he has at this point, aren't they the beginning of the nation of Israel? And yet all of those people are bowing before Esau right now. Now, it's not just those links. There's actually some phrasing, some word links in here, just so you understand how strong this connection is between these two stories. So in 27, Isaac draws in Jacob and comes close so he could touch him. Esau comes close to Jacob. Isaac kisses Jacob. Esau kisses Jacob. Isaac touches his neck he's like he's trying to feel if he's really a rough and tumble guy or not. Esau kisses the neck of Jacob. Over and over, there's an attempt to make sure that you understand these two stories are linked, and they're linked for a big reason, and the reason isn't because his brother is bribing him. Something else has happened, and we would see it, we would actually see it in the text, except uh, something happened in the text that they, I really didn't think to have a choice. There's a translation problem, and in every modern translation, even the, literal, even the literal translations that you might have, like the NASB, will not have the right word from the Hebrew. Because if it were to be translated and left in that Hebrew word, everybody would read it in English and go, what is happening here? This is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. But it's informative. In the Hebrew, it kind of gives us a clue, a link. It's going to be important. And it happens in this conversation. The brothers finally meet face to face. He's been sending these waves of animals ahead of him. And in verse 8, Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I've met? What are you doing? And Jacob replies, to find favor in your, in your eyes, my Lord. Again, he has this, he's talking to him like he's master, right? You're seeing all of this. 
And nine, but Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Now, there are people who believe that what we just read here is a tit for tat between two brothers who are trying to out cunning each other. The ancient world worked on a system of reciprocity. And what that means, if I do something good for you, I can expect you to do something good for me in the future. And in fact, if you don't, you could be rejected by your whole community. And some people have speculated that all that Jacob is trying to do is he's trying to give these gifts to his brother because if his brother accepts them and then attacks him, then he would become, Esau would become a villain in that culture. You, you took this present and then you returned evil, you're a villain. But I don't think that's what's happening at all. I don't think that's what's happening because of what happens next. Jacob says this. No, please, said Jacob. If I've found favor in your eyes, accept this gift for me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. The second part of that verse is going to become very important. We're going to come back to that. But I want to look at the front part of that verse where Jacob says something. And there's a word in there. Um, it's the only way we would be able to translate it and at least somewhat understand what's going on. And it's the word gifts. So when he says, accept these gifts from me, that is not the Hebrew word that's used. The Hebrew word that he used is accept this blessing from me. Now that ought to make all kinds of sirens go off. One, if you look back in 27, you would see that, oh, blessing is also the last part of this. Like it's the last part of the blessing that he got from his father, that nations would bless him, that people would bless him, and anybody who blessed him would be blessed. So you have this whole thing. But it, it causes you to stop and go, okay, what's really going on here is that Jacob has decided to find a way to return the blessing he stole. That's what's happening. I'm not going to be the one who's the richest after this meeting is over you are Esau. You got all of this wealth. I'm not the one who expects you to bow to me. I've bowed to you. I'm not the one who's blessing, who needs your blessing. I'm the one who's blessing you. And he's trying to make things right. And Esau understands this and basically says, listen, if you'll, if you'll accept this from me, then we can stand face to face with each other without anything between us and we're good. Are we good? And Esau says we're good. Gets on like his army, jumps off and, and they, they leave and that is settled between them. Now, we, we could spend a whole week talking about that I'm going to let you go and look at that yourself. Here's what I want to pay attention to. Why did this happen? Because this is out of sync with everything that we've seen in the life of, life of Jacob to, up to this point. He has conned everybody. He, he had anything to find a way to get ahead. And he just put himself behind. He put himself beneath 
And there wasn't, there wasn't anything. Like if you read chapter 32, he is wondering if he should go through with this or not. Am I making a mistake? If I step in front of my brother, am I going to get get myself killed? Is my family going to die? Have I made an error here? And yet he gets to 33 and he does this bold thing. And I want to suggest to you that he does that because of something that happens in chapter 32. There's something that happens in 32 that happens to be connected to the central idea of the story of Jacob. How do I know there's a central idea? Just real quick, in these writings, uh, there were different techniques they would use. One of them is called the chiasm. And the writer would take, and they would take and pair ideas and words and phrases, and they would pair them together until you got down until there was just this one central thing that didn't have a pair. It was standing alone. And it would be at the center of all of these pairs. And you would find that central idea, and then you would link it to something at the edge of all of those pairs. It turns out, that there is a very weird story in chapter 32 that is linked to the center of that chiasm. And it explains a lot as to why Jacob could walk up to his brother and do what he did. I want to look at that story, and then we're going to look at the middle, and then we're going to look at the other edge, and we got to put them all together to make sense of this whole thing. Okay? So um, the question is, what's happening here? Well, the story in 32 isn't just weird, it's mysterious. There's a little bit of, eh, what's going on here? And our culture likes weird, but we do not like mysterious. We like things wrapped up, we like it neat. Tell me exactly what happened. And uh, it is so mysterious, there are a lot of conjecture. I'm going to give you the top four. Because what happens is, um, Jacob is scared. He's not sure he's doing the right thing. So he decides to to pull away. He's going to do a couple practices that are helpful for him connecting with God. He gets silent and alone, and he prays. And while he's doing that, in the dark, somebody approaches him, and a wrestling match begins. Like, a real wrestling match. Like, they're sweaty. They're probably bloody. There's no mat. If you've wrestled, and you've been on a mat, that's nice. They're in the desert. And there's a wrestling match going on. And this is not a metaphor. He walks out of this with an injury that he will carry for the rest of his life. So it's a wrestling match. And so people have looked at this and gone, okay, who did he wrestle with? And here are the top four. The top four answers to that question. Some say he just wrestled with a man. Jacob wrestled with a man. Some say, oh, no, 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 no. He wrestled with an angel. Others say it was an evil angel. Okay. Um, and then still more said he wrestled with God himself. Now you have to understand, all four of those are, are not people just making stuff up. There's reasons that they say that. So in the text, five times in, in 32, it says he wrestled with a man. And so people read that and go, he wrestled with a man. It says it right there in the text. There it is. In Hosea a prophet who was inspired by God to write down other scriptures, Hosea says it was an angel. So that's why some people go, hey, I think it's an angel. Um, others think it was an evil angel because the person he's wrestling with wants this thing to end so that he can get out of there before the sun comes up. Like he's, he's comfortable in darkness, but not in light. 
is the way they, I think there's more to it than that. But honestly, the way they wrote about it, when I read about it, it was almost like the, they were a vampire or something. Like, I got to get out of the sun sort of thing. And I was like, are we serious here? Is this real? Um, but yes. And, and they wrote some compelling stuff about that. And then towards the end of it, Jacob says, I was face to face with God. And so people said, he wrestled with God himself. All of those are different opinions, people writing strongly about what they think. Here's, let me just give you my opinion real quick. Sometimes when God puts stuff in the scriptures and it's not clear, it's there to make you dig. That's very true about the book of Genesis. Digging around yields really cool stuff. And so you get in, you dig, and you search. Other times... It's vague because it's not as important as you want it to be. It's not as important as you think it is. And if you get stuck on that, you miss the point that really is necessary for you to focus on. For me, it's as simple as there was another scripture writer who I believe was inspired by God to say it was an angel. It's an angel. I'm done with it. I don't need to concentrate on too much of that. I want to pay attention to what's going on here. And what's going on here ends up being incredibly important because if you pay attention to this section of scripture, you're going to find that this wrestling, this struggling that's going on between these two people in the dark is going to attach to the middle of this gigantic massive chiasm because the verse that stands alone at the center of this thing, it's a little weird. You're like, why, why does the scriptures want us to focus on this? Can I show it to you? This is, um, this is Genesis chapter 30, verse 8. This is the center of 84 pairs trying to lead you to this verse right here. Then Rachel said, I have a great struggle. I've had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. She's celebrating a child that's not hers. It's her handmaid's child, but she gets to claim the child in her lineage. I don't know if that's one or not, but she's counting it as one. And she's talking about this struggle that she has. The name Naphtali means struggle or my struggle. And all of a sudden, if you're, if you're like tooling around in here and you're trying to find out what in the world should I be paying attention to, that God wanted, like, why did he write this so that this would be the center? You would stumble across this idea of struggle, and then you would realize that right on the outside edge is this story of Jacob wrestling with this angel in the dark, a, a struggle going on between them, which then leads you to ask the question, is there anything like that on the other side of the chiasm? Let's go to where the pairs start. Is there anything over here that would seem to be similar? Where maybe we could put this all in a pile and start to make sense of all of this. And the answer is yes. If you go back to chapter 25, verse 22, this is written. The babies jostled each other within her and said... Why is, and she said, why has this happened to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Jostled. It's cute, right? They're babies. That's not what the Hebrew says. Here's what the Hebrew says. But the children struggled together within her. There it is again. Struggled. Which is kind of 
It gets a little frustrating. At first, it makes sense. Because if you look at Jacob's life, and you thought, does this have to do with struggle? Everywhere it had to do with struggle. He struggled with his identity. He struggled with being honest to his own parents. He struggled with deception with his brother. He struggled with that with Laban. Everywhere he goes, he turns life into a struggle. And yet it seems like God wants us to have some sort of focus on that, which is a little frustrating because I don't know about you, but when I think of that word, I think unenjoyable. This is not going to be good. This is going to be difficult, painful, frustrating, hard. Why does God want to have me focus on that? And it turns out, because there's, there's different things that are happening within struggle, and one of those is sometimes struggle creates an opportunity for God to connect with you in a way that wouldn't happen any other way. And we're about to see that unfold, because here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask ourselves, is there anything that we could learn by comparing these two stories. If we, if we compared Jacob wrestling with some stranger, this angel in the dark, and the story with him wrestling with his brother and all the stuff that was going on here, would we find any similarities? And I think we would. I'm, again, I'm going to go fast. Um, one of them is he thought, Jacob thought, that he was wrestling with a man in both stories. He thought his struggle was against his brother, was against his uncle, was against people. He didn't know that there was a bigger struggle going on. He thought he was struggling with a guy. It wasn't a guy. So he has this common thing. He holds on in both stories. He holds on to his brother's heel. And in this story in 32, he holds on to this angel and refuses to let go. So in both stories, he holds on. In both stories, he ends up wounded. He ends up with an insecurity that follows him for 20 years. Actually, longer than that, 40 to 60 years. He has this level of insecurity with his brother. And he winds up with a limp. With this wrestling with this angel, he winds up with a wound. But it turns out there's another important similarity. In verse 26 of chapter 32, he's wrestling. He's not letting go of this angel. And he says this, I will not let go unless you bless me. Jacob's whole life has been trying to scratch out a blessing from somewhere. I'll take it if I have to. I'll take it from my brother. I'll take it from my uncle. I will take it from whomever I have to. And at this point in the story, he realizes that it's not a man. That what he's wrestling is, is a representative from God. And so he will not let go unless he has a blessing And the story starts to get interesting here. In verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name is no longer Jacob, 
but Israel. He changes his name. Israel is, is not a word. It's a, it's a made-up, mash-up word. It's like me saying chocoholic. Like, I, I can say a word that doesn't exist, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you identify, right? You're like, yeah, that's me. I do that. Well, maybe that's what happened in this culture here. It could be that when they mashed up that word, everybody around was like, yeah, we get it. We understand what you're talking about here. But I can tell you it's caused a lot of confusion because if you go and look up what does Israel mean, you're going to find a lot of people who give you different definitions. Like the most popular one is that you're the prince of God. Israel was the prince of God. Holds this position where in the kingdom, he's not king, but prince, and has a lot of power because of that connection with God. And I get how they got there, but you have, you have to actually do a lot of twisting and turning to get there. It's not what it actually says. If you took a straight-up Hebrew translation of these two mashed-up words, you would get this definition. Struggles with God. Struggles with God. In fact, that's going to make sense to you because after the writer says your name's Israel, he says your name's Israel because you struggle with God and with man and you won. And people read that and they're like, what are you talking about? How can you struggle with God and win? And I want to caution you, it's because there's two different ways to understand with. Okay, so... If I decided to have a wrestling match and I invited somebody up and they were on the other side of the mat and we said go and we went at it, we would wrestle with each other, right? I'd try to do a takedown. They'd push me a little bit. I'd cry because I'm old and it'd be over, right? <laughs> it'd be done. I'd be like uncle. Or there's another kind of with. What if I called somebody up on stage and we linked arms, and they wrestled with me. And now we were partners in the battle. Now, now we were together in this. Instead of this antagonistic thing, something else is going on. It's the two of us together. Now, um, I think that is going to be the idea that we're gonna to have to get to, but I wanna suggest that we're gonna get there in a different way. Because not only did the writers, the Jewish writers, use things like chiasms and remezes and all these kind of things that they did with the text to lead you around, to help you engage with truth, they also did this thing called wordplay, where they would say a word that sounded a lot like another word, and that was also meant to help you understand what was going on. And there is some wordplay happening with the name Israel. Happens to be attached to how people thought about Jacob. So um, let me take you back to 26, actually 27. So in Genesis 27, um, Esau has just been ripped off by his brother. He just stole his blessing. And he is lamenting. And he says this about his brother. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? 
This is the second time, and in the Hebrew it says, this is the second time he has healed me. Healed you? That's weird. Like, what does that mean? What's the shape of a heel? Like it's curved. It's the second time he's, he's gone around about me. He's undercut me. It's the second time he's been conniving and cunning with me. And he says this, this represents who Jacob is. He's really his name. He never comes straight at you. It's, he's always playing an angle. And if you look at the story of Jacob, Jacob is always playing an angle. He played an angle with his own mother. Played an angle with his father. Played an angle with his brother. Plays an angle with Laban. You know who else he plays an angle with? If you look carefully in the text, you'll find him playing an angle with God. I'm going to just put it on the screen. I'm just going to let you look at it. But in Genesis 28, he's, he's leaving to go to Laban's house. God meets him in the desert where he has that vision of angels coming up and down on the ladder. God reaffirms his commitment to him and asks for him, will you follow after me? And Jacob says, I will if if you do this, if you do this, if you give me food, if you get, like it's a list of five things. And then he says, then I'll follow after you. So he's, he's always playing an angle. I have conditions to everything. I'm going to ask you to do this, but I'm playing the angle. But something happens in Genesis 32. And unfortunately, in almost all of our translations, we wouldn't see it because it's another one of those weird things. You would never, <laughs> we would never write English this way. And it would be confusing if you did. And so people, like they smoothed it out. But in smoothing it out, they took out some important stuff. I want, I want you to just listen to this. I'm going to read you some verses out of chapter 32. This is verse 4. And Jacob sent messengers before his face. So in verse 20, I will, I will appease his face with a present that goes before my face, and afterward I will see his face pre-adventure. He will accept my face. He says that he was face to face with God. He names the place, Penelope, which is the face of God. And in chapter 33, the end of verse 10, he looks at his brother and says, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. What is he, what is he trying to do here? Why, why is he using this weird language over and over and over and over again? Because for the first time in Jacob's life, he's decided to just face God and face his junk. If you go read chapter 32, he's terrified that maybe he's making the wrong choice and he prays to God. And you want to know the conditions that he lays out for following God this time? Not one. Not one. There's no conditions. In fact, he says, I've been so blessed, I don't deserve it. You can do whatever you want. And he's still terrified, and he ends up in a battle 
with this angel who is a representative of God, and he finally face-to-face says, what I want is your blessing. What I want is the blessing from Almighty God. And if you would just give me that, I think I would be okay. I don't need to go out and prove myself. I need you. I need you. It's the first time he does this. It's why he says about that encounter that he came face to face with God. It wasn't that he came face to face with God. It was the first time that he stood bold without any deception, without any kind of conditions before God and said, this is what I need from you. I need you, and without you, I'm toast. And because God says, I'm going to give you that, I'm going to give you my blessing, and I'm going to give you a new name. And I want you to understand that this new name means that we wrestle together. I'm going to struggle with you. It turns out in wordplay, it also sounds like straight with God, straight with God. Jacob's name had meant curbed. And now all of a sudden, he's been given a new name, struggles with God, that sounds like straight with God. And because he's straight with God, he could give away the blessing and he doesn't care. He could bow and it's not important to him anymore because what he had was the thing that he finally needed in life, which was this connection with Almighty Creator God, and he knew that it had changed him because he had come face to face with that reality. My friends, can I just tell you, when an insecurity works itself into your life, and you start thinking that you're less than or not enough, and you start like scraping and scratching to prove everybody wrong, What can happen in that process is that people can become the enemy and so can God. God can become the person that you think you have to struggle against who doesn't get you. Do you have to prove wrong? And the story in the scriptures is that you know what? What you needed the whole time was to get to a place where God was your central, like, my enough. This is the story of Jesus, by the way. This is why Jesus comes to you and says, you know what? I'll offer you a new life. I'll offer to make you whole. All you have to do is decide that it's, it's my way, not your way. And then we can struggle together It's not that Jacob was struggling against God and God was proud of him for it. He was excited that finally God joined Jacob in the struggle. And although he was going to wrestle against man, he was going to overcome. Why? Because right there beside him was his partner connected. My friends... That's an option for you too. You can struggle against your insecurity. You can let it 
play out in your life in really weird ways, or you can come to the realization that life really matters, really has meaning. When you grab on to Jesus and you hold on to him, you become partners in a store. Do you know he offers you a new name? He offers you a new family. He offers you the same thing that Jacob got. You're no longer crooked. You're straight. You're straight with me. You're Israel. We struggle together. That could be your story too. It's just whether you want to choose that or if you want to let your insecurity own you. Can we pray? God, the struggling um, that we do in life is real. And what you want, what you deeply want with us is to struggle alongside us. You want to be in those moments where it's hard. You want to be in the moments where we celebrate. You you want to be a big part of our lives. And so many times we have allowed these things in our lives that we just don't feel like we're good enough at to become a barrier between you and us. We actually think I have to fight against what God's doing in my life instead of joining you. God, I ask this this morning that people would be able to look into their hearts, honestly evaluate, am I struggling with God or am I struggling against God? Because the almighty creator of the universe is willing to be a partner in this life that I'm living if I'm open to it, I could grab on, have the kind of life that I was always meant to live. God, I ask that you would deal with hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.